Welcome back to another episode of Gift from Adversity. My name is Julia Love, and your host. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today, I have a wonderful guest from India. But before I introduce my guest, I want to introduce my book, which is the same title as this podcast. It's called A Gift from Adversity by Juri, J-U-R-I, Love. It's available on Amazon. The subtitle of this book is Overcoming Sexual Abuse, Domestic Violence, Bullying, and Homelessness. After I published this book, I got a lot of messages from all over the world. And people have shared some of the adversities. After I heard from a lot of people by sharing my story, I decided to start a podcast, which is the same title as my book, Become Adversity. And I'm very grateful to have so many guests from all over the world willing to share not only their adversity, but the tools that they use to overcome and a gift that came from it. Today, we're recording episode 86. So let's invite our guest. Hi, Natasha. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. Hi, Juri. Thank you for having me. Wonderful. So, Natasha, can you tell our audience your name and where you're coming in from tonight and what you do and if you have a website or social media? So my name is Natasha Sharma. I'm calling in from Mumbai in India. I am by profession a clinical hypnotherapist. I now am a published author, speaker, and a mentor. I work with money and manifestation. And my mission on earth is to talk about death um, and how you can find um, abundance through the acceptance of death. And that is my mission. And I will continue talking about it until it becomes a day-to-day dinner table conversation. My website is mind-bodyspeak.com. And my social media handles are bodyspeak.in on um, Instagram. That's the best way to actually find me and follow anything that might be coming up in the future. Thank you for having me here. Absolutely. So your website, one more time, mind mind-bodyspeak.com bodyspeak.com so i just put it on my comment mind-bodyspeak.com so people please check out our website perfect all right so great so we are live today and if anyone has comment just put on the comment section and we can incorporate your questions as well So, Natasha, let's move on to our first question, which is the adversity. So can you tell our audience, what was your adversity? So I lost my mother when I was very young. She uh, fell sick when I was 14, and she died when I was 16. And I had two younger siblings and a narcissistic father. So that led to sort of like a a household and a family dynamic that was highly dysfunctional and of course there was a lot of like um abuse that took place in that whole um circumstance and I ended up like leaving home at 18 getting married terribly young at 21 and um shifting continents I uh, you know have traveled all over the world um running from the death running in anger putting myself in a lot of dangerous situations but then it could have been dangerous i was very lucky i was very blessed i think i had uh, i was surrounded by angels or i don't know i've just been um quite crazy in my youth and um trying to find myself trying to like you know like i said running away and you can never really run away can you it follows you which i learned in the long run but um yeah Well, let's dive into dissecting a little bit of the adversity that you shared. Um, So how did your mom die? So my mother died officially of leukemia, but I knew at that age that she died of a broken heart. 
Um, and I told everyone who would listen that that's what had happened because my father was um, having an affair and my mother was deeply, deeply, madly in love with him. And I don't think that she could accept that. And when I was 14, my grandfather died and my grandfather was kind of like her protection. And um, so when he died, she just went like he died in July and she died the year after next December. Like it was really rapid. So that's where a lot of my uh, stuff stemmed from um, trying to defend her after she was gone. So my relationship with my dad with my dad became even more contentious. And, you know, when you're alone at that age, then there are a lot of like um, prey. Uh, you become a prey to a lot of people around you mentally, emotionally, psycholo psychologically sexually every, every every which way um and i like i said had a lot of anger um hitting out at everyone because i knew what had happened my mother wasn't fair um yeah when you lost your mom at such a young age and in such a tender developing age of teenager have you experienced any bullying at school or any isolation from the society in a way? So uh, the bullying actually came when I, um, so I was born and brought up in the West and there, you know, as a, as a, as a person of color, there was bullying. And then my mother, we, my parents actually moved us to this part of the world um, when I was about eight. And um, so there, my accent was so thick because I was, you know, th that they actually thought that I didn't even speak English because my accent. So I never really like sort of fit in. So I always felt that I didn't belong. Um, nobody really bullied me as such, um, except for being racist. I've, I've actually uh, faced both negative and positive racism, which is as bad as each other. You wouldn't think it is, but it, but, but it is. Um, so I, I, I faced that. I faced a lot of like, um, you know, people knowing that you're not protected, you know, just sort of uh, copying a feel here and there, saying inappropriate things to you and expecting you to either be too cool to deal with it or just sort of you know, go along with it. That, 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 that's more, mine was more like sexual rather than, you know, schoolyard bullying, except for the racism. Do you remember any of the racist comments since childhood that still like bothering you or remaining you? Well, um, bothering me anymore, not really, because, um, you know, when we get to the, to the end part of the podcast, I'll talk about the tools and um, pretty much everything we're touching on gets covered because I've, I've worked really, really, really hard jury. Um, I have, I've done a lot of healing. I help others heal. Every time I help someone heal, I heal a little bit more myself. So I'll be happy to discuss that part with you then, but I'm, I'm, I'm sorted right now. I sound a little, you know, raw because I, I'm, I'm showing up vulnerable. I'm showing up from that perspective. I'm not showing in, I'm not coming to you right now as a, as a teacher who's all sorted. I am coming vulnerable and, you know, so I might sound a little unhealed, but I'm not. Yeah. Let's talk about healing journey for the second question, but let's talk a little bit more about your father a little bit. And then you mentioned about narcissistic, um, and then infidelity as well. So my book, A Gift from Adversity, focuses on the abuse really from my dad and then two uncles that were unmarried. And this happened in Japan in the 80s, which nobody talked about sexual abuse, Me Too movement, none of that. I was completely isolated. I was manipulated. It was justified. Still. So... I didn't even know that until maybe the counselor started to later on in my life identify some of the traits that my dad had. He, he is narcissistic. How did you find out that he was narcissistic at such a young age? 
So I didn't actually figure out that he was at that age. That I figured out later. But what he was was, you know, um, if I lost my mother young, then he lost his wife also very young. So today when I am in my uh, 40s, I look at it a little differently. But um, he was basically very, very self-centered. He didn't step up to be the father who was the only parent. Um, and he, because he was a narcissist, I didn't realize at that time, but because he was, he always held back. He always expected that somebody else should step in, like my aunts or my grandmother or somebody should help him. And no one really did because everybody, would, they knew what he was like. And everyone was like, you know, you're the parent and sort of everybody sort of stepped away. Um, and what happened to me was, and my and my siblings is that we fell through the cracks basically of this, you know, stepping forward and stepping back kind of a thing. Um, and um, he would primarily use money as a, as a manipulation, you, you mentioned the word manipulation. So that, that that's what they all do. They all have one tool that they use to push the buttons and pull the strings. And his was money. And he would literally, you know, reward and punish basis money. He would basically, you had to always do a song and a dance before you could ask for anything, even if it was money for a lollipop or for your pocket money and then later school fees and university fees. It was a power play that was done completely um, around money. And um, and then, and, and it continued our whole lives until, you know, each, each of us actually handled them completely differently, which is really interesting. But um, yeah. I remember the incident that I had where my dad offered money and then my mom was saying that you should not take his money because they he's going to take advantage of you. So I remember that kind of feeling. Yeah, it's a very powerful tool, money. Um, even if it doesn't mean the same thing to children as it does to adults, it's still something you need and you desire. And when you're a child, you need to feel safe and loved and you need to know that your parent responds back to you the way that you desire. And when you're whatever anyone goes through, and at that point in time, it feels like the whole world is collapsing if you don't get that lollipop, right? And so um, it's not about the fact that it costs like, you know, 10 cents or, you know, $100,000. It's not about the scale. It's uh, it's about the, the feeling. And that's what narcissists understand intrinsically. And they use that to... To, to abuse you. That's why narcissist um, children of narcissistic parents are literally victims of abuse. They go through the same sort of uh, PTSD syndromes, the same kind of denial, the same kind of self-loathing, and it, it, it's all the same. Um, and, you know, there was a little bit of physical violence as well. There was, you know, a very unstable sort of a situation when you have somebody who just wants to do things their own way, like, you know, literally like a brat. Um, and then there's no space for you. And then you have to create your own space and it's you're creating your own space in an unstable environment. So it's all very scary. Um, so, you know, I understand what, what your mother was very wise to have said that to you because that, that's exactly what it is. So abuse really identifies with a lot of times physical abuse, sexual abuse, verbal and emotional but sometimes people don't talk about financial abuse and in the power mm -hmm. of the and I've had a guest who had financially abusive ex-husband and she didn't even realize mm -hmm. the part of the abuse could be financial and I've met somebody who is very in a vulnerable situation in a foreign country where the ex-husband had complete financial power and being narcissistic. So you can fully understand. Yes, it's interesting you're saying that because that that's exactly what happened to my parents. My um because we were like as I mentioned, we would we had been shifted to the east and my 
mother had had no financial uh, independence and so when he when he stepped out on her then he and if she ever said that she wanted to leave him then he would basically say sure but you you won't you won't take the children and so she knew that she had no power either financially economical or even you know social she wouldn't have any backing so she couldn't like really take us and leave um and that that was uh, the, the the whole thing and that led to me never being able to trust men so i never had a stable relationship and that is the power of that and you know you mentioned the power of money and you know the financial abuse angle so that's what i work with not particularly the abuse as such but the power of money if we take money away from just being dollars and cents and we think of money just as energy then for me it's one of the most powerful healing tools um that i that not 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 a healing tools but basically i use the money as a clue to find because money directly reflects your your bank balance reflects your self worth and if there are dents in the self worth there are uh things to be discovered over there well thank you so um we'll talk in depth about how you use that later but i want to go back to 18 you mentioned that you escaped from the situation at 18 how did you do that not very well <laughs> i uh, had a huge fight with my father and i just sort of ran away and my mother's immediate sister who basically considers me her daughter she lived in san francisco and so i was uh you know sure that i was just going to uh, go off um and live with her and you know sort of live my I, i was yeah i was running away to america basically so i did go to america and i did stay with her for a while but what had happened was i had in the meantime fallen in love as you do between 16 and 18 <laughs> so i had my first uh, love story ongoing that again you feel like it's the end of the world and if you don't do it now it'll never happen that kind of a thing and so i actually came back a couple of years later um and then that that didn't go down very well so i ended up we ended up getting married So yeah that that's how I ended up like I mentioned bouncing all over the world so that's how it first started <laughs> I that I uh, ra- I didn't run away but basically I just couldn't take it anymore you know the yelling and the screaming and the you know just the there was no space to express oneself openly and honestly and hear it back gently and you know in a situation where everyone can express their own points of view is all just very all about him basically i want to ask you a question um when you find out the infidelity part of your father how did it affect you and how did you learn did he tell you or did the woman come to your life my mother told me so my mother told me um so I write about that and so I I mentioned I'm a published author I basically which is a very recent thing I um I wrote a chapter in the best selling book Wealth Codes Secret Strategies for Abundance I I'm chapter 11 Beauty of the End Game Finding Abundance Through Accepting Death and that story that I share in that chapter is about how my mother died and um how that from my perspective and what it meant to me and over there i write about this this part of the story that you just asked me where um my mother you know she two weeks before she died she actually told me so it was kind of like telling me freaked her out so much she just couldn't live anymore she wasn't like she wasn't on deathbed she was perfectly she wasn't fine she was sick like i said she was diagnosed with leukemia but um you know we she took me aside one afternoon told me the whole story and then said that you know um i can't take the kids but you're about to finish your o level so when you finish then at least you be with me so that's how i found out that part that she couldn't take the kids well any of us um so then she asked me to go with her and i said yes and then she told me the whole story and then and then she basically freaked out and then i, I because i was my father's favorite cuz you know i had i was daddy's little girl and then she then then i think she figured that oh my god how can i be trusting her 
you know, and I think she really thought that she made a mistake because if I went and told my dad, then that would be a different kettle of fish altogether. Um, so, yeah, she like looked like a ghost. She was like shaking. And then, yeah, two two weeks later, she was dead. So that's how I found out. So I ended up like um, sort of trying to be her champion. I tried to get my dad to to reveal the truth for many, many years which he never did. Uh, but then he did end up marrying that woman. So. <laughs> and so another reason why I asked that question, you mentioned that you don't trust men. You couldn't trust men after that and stuff. But then you end up falling in love and getting married. Can you tell the yes. company? I did so it's not that I didn't trust, like, it's not that I didn't like men. Well, um, I didn't know that I didn't trust men. I basically had a series of un, uh, failed relationships. None of my relationships ever worked out. A lot of them I used to end because I would hurt them before they could hurt me. Um, and I'm talking about, like, you know, just... So I left my marriage after four and a half years. I just basically had a series of relationships that never came to any conclusion. They were reflections of the same thing. They, you know, even if the guys were very nice, I would create a situation where there'd be a lot of, you know, fighting and screaming and a lot of drama because that's all that I knew. So the nicest man couldn't be in a relationship with me. But they would fall in love with me because I, I'm actually a very nice person. So it's only when they come close that I would, you know, on a subconscious level, be ex conscious and con subconscious, conscious both, exhibiting, you know, uh, behavior that makes sure that the relationship doesn't last. And if the man was very much in love with me, they'd put up with it to a point that I was like, I'm done with it, you know. Because I need to, I need to have that last part, right? Like breaking it up, running away, feeling bad. I need to have the whole cycle as a, because that's what I'm doing. I'm repeating the same pattern. So that happened pretty much all the way to uh, just um, nine years ago when I got married for the second time, and uh, we've been married. So I met him nine years ago. I've been with him for. February will be our sixth year at wedding anniversary. Fingers crossed. Natasha, thank you so much for sharing that with me and with our audience. I just want to echo it with you that all of my dating relationship since age of 15 were very short. And I ended up sabotaging it, even the good marriage a good relationship, I end up sabotaging it. And we didn't know why until recent and also attracting abusive men, feeling comfortable more than being with nice men. Yes. I feel you. Same. It's sense of emergency, state of emergency that stemming from the abuse and trauma from the childhood and then yes. PTSD. and I read this story devastating story it was one of the book about body trauma where I want to share it with you in an audience there was a man who's a um, veteran of Vietnam war where his unit got ambushed and every year anniversary he goes to a convenience store, starts to make this commotion, making like a fake gun point with the hand, no weapons whatsoever, seven in the morning. Every year, the police knows it's completely PTSD. Um, when he gets ambushed, he and his friend Jim were the only remaining soldiers where they hid in the rice field all night long. Then they were found in the morning after all night long of running. And then his best friend Jim dies, gets shot in his arm. So 
So he's trying to be orchestrate the same day, same time, each year as anniversary. That's kind of what we are talking about. The body remembers the trauma and then the situation. In our case, in our cases, where we don't, we didn't experience the healthy relationship watching the parents, where we just reorchestrate and then test the boundary between the man and see who remains with me. Even I have this craziness and chaos who can love me unconditionally. And that's kind of how I could explain my past relationships. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I think you're 100% correct. Like you've taken the whole thing and just extracted like this, not even juice, but like the gel from the juice. That is that that is exactly what it is. It's and that brings us to a very unrealistic expectation, right? Like that that of unconditional love and you know, essentially what I think we're trying we had tried to do was yes, challenge it for but that unconditional love really can only come from a parent, not from an adult man and woman, because an adult man and woman relationship is very different. It can't just be unconditional love. The minute that it's unconditional love, there's no boundaries. There's no, um, there shouldn't be any boundaries and stuff like for a, a child and a, and, and a mother or a father, where it should just be a safe space, like as a husband and wife or, a you know, any kind of couple, you need to be testing each other, but with respect, you need to be supporting each other, but with equality. There's a lot of other things that supersede. So then for you and me, what happens, it becomes, a, it's an unrealistic fairy tale that I'm going to create the chaos myself, which is the self-sabotage. I'm going to have this dramatic relationship. He's going to rise above it and he's going to rescue me by loving me despite everything. And then, you know, when and even when he does that, we will still continue self-sabotaging or leave the relationship because we haven't got what we desire, which is for, for you know, what you said to be all about the unconditional love and, you know, um, love me anyway, love me, you know, and when you love me like that, then I'll heal, you know, the the child in me will be fulfilled. And that, that, that doesn't happen. We have to work on ourselves, ourselves. We have to take 100% responsibility for our lives. And even, even, even the bad bits, even if they happen to us, we still have to realize that it belongs to us now and we have to be responsible for it. Natasha, I appreciate this conversation deeply because unless otherwise you experience this chaos from the parents and reflection in your adult life, whether it was stemming from the abuse part of it or the death part of it and infidelity part of it. I think it's a universal language for all the people who went through the adversity that is so not spoken about, not understood and misunderstood, misread, ourselves included. So I really appreciate our conversation. Me too, Juri. Thank you so much for having me for for us finding each other. Yes. So let's shift our conversation to the tools. You mentioned a little bit, but let's deep dive into the tools. And then this, Natasha, part of the podcast is my favorite by far because a lot of people who had never experienced the adversity, they don't want to be biased or prejudiced against the counselors. But a lot of counselors I met from my personal experiences, they came from very wealthy family, going to school, getting the master's degrees, and they became a counselor. That, except a few counselors that I met, not so many counselors that I know of was beaten up or raped, um, being homeless like myself, and like. They have the knowledge and the tools and the compassion, but yet 
I found this podcast to be very knowledgeable, healing, especially the tools part. And I've actually used several unique tools that people shared on this podcast. So that is why I think it's real, authentic, genuine part of the podcast. So can you tell our audience, what are the tools that you use that worked for your trauma and adversity that you can share? Absolutely. It would be my pleasure. And like you said, this podcast and podcasts uh, and people like you who have shared up authentically to share their experiences vulnerably, um, people listen to um, us, to uh, some people resonate, some people don't, but we reach the few people who understand that they weren't alone, that somebody experienced something similar and that gives them hope. And that that's what all of this is about. So it's my absolute pleasure to, you know, share um, my experience with your, with your listeners on how I overcame um, all of these bits. Um, and I say overcame very loosely because it's, um, um, it's, it's a journey. It's not a destination where I don't think anyone's ever going to be fully healed because, you know, that there's a lot to learn from the healing. Um, and there are layers and then the layers, the, uh, there are layers beyond layers. And then underneath the layers, there are the shadows of the layers. So it's an ongoing process. But the good news is that once you, once you uncover the few main bits, like an onion, that's, you know, thin and then thicker and thicker and thicker till you get to the core. Once you've done the core of that onion, even if it's shadows that show up, it's easier. It gets easier. That's all I have to say Um, that, uh, you know, and that I'm writing about in my second book chapter, which is coming out on January the 22nd, where I write about here we go again, the cycles of healing and the death of versions of yourself. So, um, but to just say what happened was with me was, that I decided that I wa- um, that I wanted to move back home, like back to the West. I was done with trying to find myself and all of these bits and pieces while I was still living here. And I um, and I as a profession, I used to work in advertising. I was a producer, so I was part of the whole film glamour industry and stuff like that, which is a young person's game. And I was done. Uh, you know, I'd, I had a great time. I was ready to go back home. So I decided that I wanted to go back with a qualification of some sort because my experience would not translate back in the West um, that easily. And so I would end up doing just a normal job, right? Like an, like an hourly paid job, like a supermarket or a restaurant or something. That's what I knew I, I, I would end up doing. So I wanted to do something beyond the working hours and so I decided to study clinical hypnotherapy what happened as a result of studying that was my my first teacher of my first course she turned around and she said that use every single tool that you will learn along this um, in your coursework to heal yourself and I was thinking, what? She's like, apply any any exercise onto any part of your life and just use it. Because until you've healed yourself, you can't heal anybody else. So I took her very, very seriously. I went through every exercise as deep as I could. And what happened as a result was that I met this, uh, I had met this man who was, you know, kind of like a friend. And it's the first relationship of my life where I had no agenda. I didn't. Um, I wasn't driving it. I wasn't, um, you know, creating all the situations that you and I spoke about. I wasn't doing that this time because it was just evolving. I had no, I didn't have my sights set on him. We didn't have any kind of like relationship beyond a very loose friendship. And as I studied, as I studied, as I healed, as I grow, as I grew and the whole um, infidelity part of my of the parents thing I it emerged that I didn't trust men but I didn't actually apply it onto this relationship this relationship grew side by side and then I ended up um marrying him and not returning to the west and now I'm you know living in India with him um and continuing to heal other parts of me um and I took up a mission um, to talk about death openly and honestly and often uh, during the pandemic, just seeing the amount of people that are dying and 
um, I've had such close experiences with death. I mean, my mother was just the beginning. I didn't touch on it in this in this episode of the podcast, but I have then death has followed me my entire life. I have been front seat participant emotionally and viewer of every type of death you can you can recount, like suicide, um, young death old age, not natural illness to critical illnesses, to sudden death of, you know, each and every part. So I'm actually going to be writing a whole book on that, but that's another uh, story altogether. But the, the, the tool that I have extracted from all of these different experiences that actually becomes common to all experiences is using the text of the concept of the stages of grief to take that and apply it to any kind of major change, right? So the stages of grief that cover your um, shock, denial, bargaining, anger, acceptance, and testing, This these apply to pretty much any situation. So when, 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 so when we go through any trauma, what I do now is that I, I see, okay, if I'm behaving like this, what stage could this be? And I realize, okay, I'm very, very irritated. So that is a that is a that that is a that belongs in the anger basket. It's a shade of anger, irritation from anything from irritation to full blown anger is the anger stage. So then, when the minute I can label it, I then have a choice how much I want to project this feeling. And that awareness invariably, jury will bring the charge down. So it's basically being consciously aware and responsible for your thoughts, feelings, and emotions instead of just going along with it and just have it just go like that. Compared to that, it's like it's more steady and it's more calm the way that you approach um, anything in life. And that is the that is the biggest thing that has been life-changing for me. And um, I'd like to encourage anyone listening to try to do the same for themselves you can just google the stages of grief there are there are there are five main ones and there are seven extra ones but you don't i mean the five is the main that you need to always think of and then death and then also money that you mentioned so what is so, the money part is a little bit more complex. Of course, how it presents in your life today, you can still use the same tool I just shared. Um, so, for example, let's say with the money conversation, if we're talking about... Um, so money needs to be bi uh, bifurcated in, in, into different categories, right? Is it something that you want? Is it something that you need? Is it So is it your basic food, shelter, clothes, paying the basic bills? Is it that kind of money are we talking about? Or are we talking about the money to buy the next Louis Vuitton? Is it the money that we need to um, keep in the bank for a rainy day? Or is it to pay off our mortgage? So it's different shades. And then it we and if it is, for example, the desire, if it's the LV bag, then then the questions are why do you need that bag what does it represent to you what is it, how are you going to feel once you get that bag is it going to fill all your trauma are you going to feel like great for how long you, you walk out the shop how for how long are you going to be like delighted you know so that opens up the whole kettle of fish that listen there's a there's a story behind there and you need to work on yourself and there are lots of different ways that you can work on yourself. It's not just counseling or, you know, coming to someone like me it is, or finding yourself a coach. There are so many options. You, you know, listening to podcasts like this, picking up on other people's life experiences, tools, going for meditation, yoga, different things work for different people. But all roads lead to Rome. Everyone ultimately, if, if I have to give one line for the tool, it is taking 100% responsibility for your own thoughts, feelings, and emotions. No one is responsible for you except yourself. Even those who are feeling you, making you feel bad. Even somebody who treats you badly on the street. What am I doing? Well, maybe what's my facial expression that that person's responded to me like this? Like, why do we always say, oh, that man was so rude to me on the subway? What is it within me that 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 is has experienced this today? What do I need to think about myself? Or how has his action made me feel? 
And then we get clues about our feelings and our emotions. And then we need to process those. And like I said, invariably, they go into one of those five baskets. So the tools that you can share with the audience to overcome the adversity is really trying to work on yourself other than maybe blame shifting others. Yes. Work on yourself. Take 100% responsibility for yourself. And like I said, to use the stages of grief. So to uh, to study them, to understand them, that there are five. There are five, five main ones, right? There's the, there's, the, there's the grief itself. There's sadness. The uh, sadness, stroke, depression. There's your bargaining. There's your anger. And then there is... Um, uh, there's finally acceptance. Which one am I missing out? I don't want to waste time, but there are five and you can Google it, right? So essentially what happens is that when you, um, so let's say somebody, I'm feeling, I'm feeling very low today. So that immediately goes into the depression category of the stages of grief. That does not mean that you have clinical depression. It means it's a shade of the depression that I'm feeling sad today right? Then you look at the rest of your life and you see where is there adversity flowing in your life right now. And then you realize that, okay, I'm feeling sad because I'm in these circumstances. So instead of being victim, you then take charge of it. Is that, does that make sense? That that is because taking 100% responsibility for ourselves is a one-liner. It sounds a lot easier than it is. It breaks down. And then this, like I said, this tool, when you realize that this has been, that, that this is there and this goes through any major change in our life is a loss. A loss needs you to grieve. It could be the loss of, you know, a really favorite pair of earrings. Now that could sound like, why would you go into like grief? But no, it's lost. What if that was something that had, had immense sentimental value to you? You are losing all, you feel that you're losing all, all your sentimental values al along with those earrings, which is not true, right? So then if you apply the, the filter of the stages of grief to that, you would realize that, okay, fine, the feeling, the, sen the memories are still mine. I don't need those earrings to necessarily represent those um, memories, do you understand where where I'm coming from? And this, this so this tool is it's it's really interesting that I'm applying it this way because normally it isn't. But believe me, jury, it's it's created miracles in my own life. Miracles. It just makes it so much easier once you can just plop it into a basket. Like today, I'm feeling angry. Why am I feeling angry? Oh my goodness, I'm in a situation today which I would, you know, really rather not be. I would rather be sleeping, resting, reading a book than running around helping a friend um, deal with whatever she's dealing with. So that's a huge change in my life. My change is very, my life is very sedentary right now. My life is very self-reflective. It's very, you know, and now suddenly I'm having to step out and be surrounded by thousands of people. And that is that that's a huge change. How do I deal with it? And I find myself being very irritated around people. I know that this huge shift and change is making me angry. Now I have to process that and reach acceptance and surrender to what is so that I can at, le at least enjoy what I have to go through. That's the responsibility part. I really appreciate it, Natasha. Uh, before I put my comment to this conversation, um, one of my previous guests, Scorpio uh, from Jamaica, is saying goodnight, ladies. So I Good just night. want to shout out to Scorpio. Um, so let's, um, my reflection to it, Natasha, is that owning up to your reaction to a situation or analyzing it bravely. And a lot of mental health issues that we've experienced in our generation was never ever addressed growing up. And especially after the post pandemic, a lot of younger generations, even my daughter who is six years old, she has a guidance counselor who can navigate her through what's going on. We did not have the resources growing up. Therefore, the wounds that we experienced either 
looking at your parents, my parents, and then stepping into our own relationships. And that is, that could have been cured had we had resources. We lacked conversation. We lacked complete tools that we could have given that our generation had no medicine to this puzzle. And mm-hmm. the conversation we're having and the tools that you are encouraging people to accept and analyze the grief and analyze what categories that we are suffering for and then seizing down the emotion and anger and the reaction to it. And being kind of objective and understanding what is going on in the mind is crucial in how we can disengage from whatever the circumstances that can maybe turn into another trauma due to your reaction. So I appreciate you telling, owning up to your reaction and really analyzing taking responsibility for yourself. And I like what you said about, is this my mental health day? Is this the day that I don't want to hang out with people? I want to have time to myself instead of running around. And I never had that kind of choices to myself. I could have, but again, our generation truly suffered for not having this conversation acknowledged. So I really appreciate you. Yeah, so yesterday, I just want to share it with you very personally. I was working at the hotel, and there's like about 250 people I was serving. And then there are two incidents that really bothered me, but then I didn't really engage because there was so many people. But also, I reflected that I really became stronger because before that, I would maybe had going to trauma reaction or week of depression or something but I was able mm-hmm. to re-identify what the man said to me very abusive harassment comment and be able to I don't have the tools of grief or five stages of anger or something five stage, stages but I really was able to step out from the situation and then being able to just really disengage with the nonsense mm-hmm. and be able to Forward. And that I would I was never able to do 20 years ago. Never, ever. So as we grow, we learn these tools. Uh, it's better the podcast, any conversation like you said, or whether counseling or co- coaches that you meet. They are a threshold and then warp through this awful stages and wasting stage of your ages that could be happier and much better. I feel like I spent 30 years of my life being depressed and then not feeling well, not feeling beautiful. However, I model and I'm in motion, major motion picture on Netflix and stuff. Mm-hmm. I have to be good looking in order for me to book these gigs, but then inside mm-hmm. I really felt beautiful. So that is, your reflection to your comments. I appreciate you. I appreciate you too. And I just want to add that um, that finally, you know, yes, it. we went through a lot. We didn't have the tools. We didn't have the support that this generation does. And even people our age can use those tools. Um, but, the, but the point is that um, I, if I had to change my life, I wouldn't change anything about it because my life made me me and I am here today with you talking about the things that I am in the way that I am because of those experiences. And for that also, I will take the last stage of grief, which is acceptance. And that's what I apply on my on my life every day. Acceptance of what is and intense gratitude for what is. And that is actually one by one changing my life. Just this living in gratitude, acceptance and surrender. Um, Life is way more beautiful than I could have ever painted it out to be. The plans that are unfolding, they're way, way, way better than anything I could have put on a vision board. I mean, really, on the other side, it really is magical. 
but we have to work through it. And I don't know when, who will make the breakthrough, but the promise is this, that when you work on yourself and you do reach the core of the onion, and the onion's finished, then there's a wizard behind the curtain that I can promise you. Thank you so much. So my last question is a gift that came from your adversity. So Natasha, what would you say a gift that came from your adversity? It made me really look into myself because I realized no matter what I was doing, where I was running around, how much I was shouting and screaming and self-sabotaging, that it wouldn't change. It would always come back again. And that's when I realized that I can run away from everything, but I can't run away from myself. And that's when I started working on myself. And the one line that I would leave your listeners with is that the best thing that I ever did was working inside out. Well, thank you so much, Natasha. Beautiful conversation. And I learned a lot from you today. And I'm very excited that we can share this conversation with our audience and therefore our next generations to come. Before you leave the studio, I would love you to give an advice for somebody who might be going through a similar adversity today. To, to find support, to find support somewhere Else, if you're not getting it in your primary support system, whether it's from your friends, your family, or, you know, your parents that seek out support, that support could be, um, you know, counselors at school, it could be um, listening to podcasts, books, but things that support you positively to start your self-reflection on um, what is it that you truly desire? What is it that you truly, um, what is it, what is it? At, at, the, at the root of what it of what you desire in life and then to accept that whatever's happening around you is the challenges the adversity so that you can come out the other side to see the wizard behind the curtain and see how magical life actually is we get taught from our trauma to get locked in and forget the joy that life was when we were first born, when we were kids who had like no limits and we could run and play and be anything we wanted to be when we grew up. And it was so magical. And it really still is. It's just that the world has taught us otherwise. And that is, that is um, false information. <laughs> it's a filter that, uh, you know, like when we, you know, in movies, we put those filters and to make things look sepia or whatever, it's that. I and mean, the minute you remove that, life goes back to being as golden as it was when you were a child. Well, thank you so much again. And thank you for coming to A Gift from Adversity. And thank you to um, our listeners. And uh, we have more guests coming for coming month. I'm excited to have this conversation. And again, Natasha, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me so much. Thank you. Thank you for sharing the love and allowing me to be vulnerable and to, sh uh, and, and to share. Thank you very much.